0: Hi, welcome to Ready to Scale Season 3. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. I'm a real estate investor, syndicator, and operator of multifamily properties. And in this season, we're going to focus on dialogues that drive success. Building real wealth is not a fairy tale nor rocket science, but there's so much to learn. So grab a cup of coffee and join me each week for in depth conversations with successful real estate investors conversations that are designed to help you drive your wealth investment knowledge and lifestyle to the next level and of course you can always go to my website ellieperlman.com to read more about investing passively in multifamily everyone welcome to another episode in a high achievers series i'm ellie perlman your host broadcasting from providence rhode island today i want to talk to you about the lessons that i've learned from selling assets during covid and this is actually a really interesting story because we purchased several assets two years ago and we planned on holding the properties for five years and then decided after two years that it was the right time to sell. So in today's episode, I'm going to take you through the motions and through the different stages of thinking and strategizing what happened after a year, after two years that made us decide that it's the right time to sell. I'm going to talk about what surprised me and what did not surprise me during the sale of those assets. I'm going to talk about the returns to my investors, And at the end, I'm going to leave you with three tips for selling an asset during COVID. So even if you guys are passive investors and you're not technically, you're not the investors that are in charge of selling the assets, it's really good for you guys to know that so you can address the sponsor and inquire when you, once you learn that the asset that you've invested in is up for a sale. So let me start from the beginning. As I mentioned, we were basically purchasing, you know, we purchased an asset about five years ago. And the goal was to hold the asset for five years. So when it comes to underwriting, we were underwriting, assuming an exit in five years. Now, my personal strategy in thinking is that if I can exit early, if I can exit after two years, And I can still hit investors' IRR, then it's more prudent, it's safer, it's less aggressive, it's more conservative. That's a more conservative approach to exit early. If I can hit at least the projected IRR, if not higher, then to wait for the entire hold period and then to exit. Because the way that I think about it is that if I can exit now, and let's say I projected 15% IRR and I can exit at 15% IRR, it's better to do it now than to wait one, two, three more years down the line, which we may or may not be able to exit at that IRR. And so, of course, this is, you know, nobody has a crystal ball. We don't know it's gonna happen. But if I can actually exit early, and hit those returns, and allow investors to reinvest the profits from the sale in the new asset, then that would be the strategy that I would choose. Now, what happens is that after, you know, every time that we purchase an asset, after a year, we sit down, I sit down with the team, and we analyze the different scenarios. What's going to happen if we're going to refinance or sell Or maybe we cannot do either and we just need to keep holding the property. And so we're doing this analysis and keep revisiting our approach on each asset. Some assets are in markets where maybe the cap rates have not compressed enough. So if I exit after a year and I projected 15% IR, I'm going to be at 11% IR. So I have no reason really to exit at that point, exit early if I'm not hitting investors' projected returns. If the analysis basically comes back and my team says, you can refinance and still hold the property for another two years, then that's what we're going to do. In that specific case of the assets that we were selling, we ran the numbers and the team came back to me and said, listen, Ellie, if you sell now, And we started a process about 18, 19 months after we purchased the assets, you can hit about 20% IRR. And we projected 16 and a half in that specific instance. And for me, the right approach was to say, okay, we can actually exceed investors projected IRR, then this is the right time to do it. Now, it's not going to happen, of course, on every asset. In this specific case, the assets, and we're talking about several assets that were selling at the same time, they were in a really, really strong market. It was in a market that we have identified years ago as a market with a lot of growth and because companies were moving to that market and more and more people migrated to that market and with covid All these trends that we've seen, all those trends have accelerated and more and more people moved to that market during COVID. And so not only that there was a shortage in deals, there were not a lot of deals when we started, when we put those assets in the market several months ago, the cap rates compressed in that market, which basically meant that we were able to get really high return for our investors, partially because the cap rate compression. So when we purchased the asset, it was over 6% cap rate. There were off-market assets, and now we're selling around 4.5%. So that opportunity in that moment, that was the opportunity to exit early and hit returns. And by the end of the day, returns were closer to 25% IRR. But that was the opportunity in the market at that time to exit. It could have been maybe in a different market or a different time, and it would not have made sense to exit early because maybe returns would be 11 or 10% IRR. And in that case, I would have waited another year to reevaluate the decision. And in addition, the reason why. We decided to exit early is because, you know, we've seen in a market that you have more and more potential buyers that basically were looking for investment opportunities in that market. What happened is that a year and two years ago, we had a lot of investors and institutional buyers that were looking for assets in core markets like San Francisco, New York, Chicago, and now they've moved to other markets, markets that we have been buying in for years. And in addition, you had a lot of investors, you still have a lot of investors that used to invest in other asset classes, such as office and retail. And now they're moving to multifamily because this is where the returns are today. So that created this special circumstances where basically not only the cap rates in our market compressed, which means higher prices, but you had more demand, not only of businesses and tenants that were moving to the market, which means that we could also push the rents, but also an increase in demand from investors to buy assets in this market. So all of this, that was kind of the background of why we made a decision to exit early. Now, once we put the deal in the market, there was a very, very strong demand. There were tens of tours. The deals got a lot of attention and we got tens of offers on each deal. And we ended up, choosing buyers for each of the assets that we put in the market. So one of the things that surprised me, I I assume that there will be a strong demand for assets. I see it on my end as a buyer. There are not many good deals out there. And I knew that putting a quality deal in the market would get a lot of attention. What surprised me, though, is how quickly due diligence can be done during COVID. And so sometimes what you can do as a seller, if you feel comfortable with it, you can allow an access agreement, which means that as long as you're negotiating the purchase and sale agreement, which is called PSA, before you start negotiating officially, you can sign an access agreement that will allow the potential buyer that you're negotiating with to get on the property, get information, you send them all the due diligence documents that they're requesting or the documents that you've agreed on, and that shortens the due diligence period. So without an access agreement, normally it takes about a week to two weeks to negotiate the PSA, the contract, then you have 30 days of due diligence and another 30 days following the end of the due diligence period for financing. Now, if you start with an access agreement, then the due diligence period starts once you sign the access agreement and while you're negotiating the purchase and sale agreement. So that can really shorten the due diligence. And, you know, our buyers were really good at getting all the information and getting on the property to walk the units pretty quickly, which was surprising to me. And that was a good surprise. What did not surprise me is actually how well properties in that market were doing during COVID. And I have to say, and this is kind of a story time now, when we bought the properties two years ago, what happened was that on one of those assets, the team, once they heard that the property was in the market, they just got up and left. The entire team, the entire leasing and maintenance team, the team that actually keeps the place running just got up and left. And it was important for us not to be in the same position because once the team is leaving, your rents are declining, occupancy declines, the property is not doing well. And as a seller, you don't want to be in that position. You want to be in a position where as long as the property is under contract or the due diligence and financing period, you want to make sure NOI is growing, or at least is at the same pace, at the same level. You want to make sure occupancy is high, that you keep raising rents or at least keep rents the same way. You don't want to be in a position where NOI is declining. Occupancy is declining. That's going to put you in a very tough position. And during the due diligence period, we were actually able to raise rents on one asset between 15 and 17% while the property was still under contract, which is great for our buyers. And so the goal here is to keep the team motivated. And I'm always trying to learn from other people's successes, but also mistakes. And before we started the process, we went to our team and we said, hey, we're going to sell those assets, but I don't want you to leave and go and work for someone else we're going to give you an exit bonus if you stick until the very last day. And so that really motivated a team and they were happy to stay. Some of them are probably going to continue with the new buyer because the buyer sees how well they're treating the property and how good of a job they do. And so that's one way for us That was one strategy for us to make sure that the properties are performing and that the team actually stays and does a good job, which that was really, really important for us. So as I mentioned, returns were about 25% to investors, which was actually, yeah, that was surprising to me. I did not expect returns to be that high, but that's what happens when you exit at the right time and when you have a strategy on how to keep improving the property Over time. Now, before I'm gonna let you go, I wanna leave you with three tips for selling an asset during COVID from my own experience. The one thing that I would say is it's really, really important to review the financials way before you put the deal in the market. And you want to make sure that the property management company that creates those financials, you want to make sure that they're not misclassifying items. So sometimes they would put something that should, you know, a CapEx, capital expense that is not part of the ongoing operations that should be below the NOI, which means below the line. You want to make sure that everything is classified correctly, But also as a buyer, you got to be aware of, on the flip side, of any changes to the financials and make sure that everything that is below the line is actually, that it should be there. I don't like to, you know, do those tricks and misplace some things below the line to increase NOI. It's a dangerous path. It's not being honest. And I think you're compromising your integrity when you do that. But some items sometimes by mistake, are classified above the line, which lowers your NOI. So a strategy ahead of time, and we keep doing it every month. We're looking at everything, making sure there are no mistakes. So we make sure that we actually see the real NOI and we're not seeing a number that shouldn't be there. So that's one thing. And that's, you know, having the right NOI can really help you get the right amount for your asset. Now, the second tip that I have is... When it comes to choosing the right buyer, beyond the highest price, shirt sure of closing is the most important thing. I cannot stress this enough. I have never been in that position before, but I've heard stories of buyers that basically offered a high price to get the deal. And then once they got the deal, they found all the negative things in the property and tried to lower the price and ask for, they wanted to retrade, which is the worst nightmare of every seller and every broker and trying to say, Hey, we'll have to fix this. We'll have to fix that. So actually we were offering $160,000 per door, for instance, but actually we're only willing to pay $155,000 per door. And at that point, everyone is so invested in a deal that you really got to make sure that when you choose the right buyer, it's someone who comes with recommendations from the broker. It's someone, you know, we like to know that Our buyers never retraded, always closed at the purchase price and the contract. Did not try to negotiate because this is not a a situation you would want to be in. And we're the same. We don't renegotiate. We don't, you know, try and retrade because this is just also bad practice. And reputation, in my opinion, is everything you want to make sure that as a buyer and also as a seller, you have the highest reputation, the best reputation out there. The third tip for selling an asset during COVID is to be prepared for longer closing, Sometimes it can happen if there's a loan assumption and you're not exiting the loan, but the new buyer is assuming the loan, it takes a little bit more time. Sometimes during COVID financing can take a little bit longer because the lender has other things that they need to check some boxes that were not there before COVID. So just make sure that you're very tuned to what the buyer's lender needs. And so you're able to provide all the information that they need so you can actually close as quickly as possible. So these are my three tips for selling an asset during COVID. And that was, you know, I just wanted to share with you what it's like to sell assets during COVID. Right now, the market is super, super hot. Things can change. And if you exit at the right time, this can be a great opportunity. When it comes also to COVID, I'm just going to end with that. When it comes to COVID, they will be sometimes what we called covid units which means that the buyer will not be able to enter an apartment if someone has covid one of the tenants has covid then you don't want to expose the buyer or our team to someone that actually has covid and so there're ways to go about around it you can for instance you can have some protocol that when they can come back and visit the unit there are other ways to go about it, but just that's, I would say, one of the specific challenges of COVID when it comes to selling an asset. The other one is, of course, the financing. Many lenders out there demand to have very, very high deposits from buyers because of COVID, and some of them don't. But for instance, on an $80 million deal, you can be asked to deposit $2 million with the lender as a guarantee that you will pay the loan payments and you can get it back after a year, after two years, kind of changes. But that's another complication of COVID. So just whether you're buying an asset now or selling an asset, just be aware of those nuances. That's it for today, guys. Be bold, be great, keep pushing forward and I'll see you on the next episode.